It hasn't been a great week for federal employee unions. A federal appeals judge overturned a lower court ruling that nullified Trump administration executive orders on official time, collective bargaining and other workplace matters. Well, that means for now those orders are in effect. With what all of this might mean, federal practice group law firm founding partner Deborah Diagostino. Deborah, good to have you back. Good to be here. All right. So what what does this mean? I mean, the unions were told that the reason lower court ruling was overturned was because that court had no jurisdiction. Now what? Well, so uh, that means that all of the provisions of the executive orders that were issued Um, in May 2018 that had been enjoined by the lower court are now back into play. So uh, things like uh, the direction to agencies to exclude uh, removals from uh, collective bargaining agreements, um, the limitations on performance improvement periods, the limits on the use of official time, All of those things that had been stayed are now back. And we've seen a lot of the agencies, at least four major agencies, that have negotiations for new workplace agreements, including those very provisions, even though they were, until now, not allowed under the lower court ruling. Right. The mood has been very hostile toward unions uh, in the past few years. And um, what we've really seen is a concerted effort by this administration to carry out what's been going on in the state level. Um, you know, for example, in Wisconsin, uh, essentially this administration is trying to push that on uh, to the federal government now. Elaborate on that, because in many cases, the collective bargaining agreements of many years standing give some of the states an actuarial bankruptcy situation. Well, so federal employees' collective bargaining agreements are certainly very different uh, from what we see in other sectors. Um, So, you know, right off the top, I mean, federal employees are very limited in what they can even bargain over. Um, So, you know, they're limited to things like, um, you know, disciplinary actions um, or performance appraisals. Um, You know, federal employees can't negotiate, for example, their pay, right? I mean, their pay is set by the GS schedule or, you know, their benefits are set. Um, so several of the things that um, that really become very contentious in collective bargaining uh, in other sectors aren't even at play in the government. So, you know, it's sort of <laughs> in the government, they're, they're taking away the very few things that they can even have any say uh, in and, and, you know, crushing those things. And when you talk about excluding removals from collective bargaining, tell us exactly what that means. Well, so uh, traditionally, if a federal employee was in a union, uh, if they, for example, were removed, um, they could choose either to file an appeal with the Merit Systems Protection Board or they could grieve it through their union, which was oftentimes a much more appealing option for you know, cost, efficiency, all of those things, and, and quite frankly, fairness. Uh, I think a lot of people felt that um, you know, arbitrators were oftentimes more fair than the MSPB. Um, And so, you know, fundamentally, if you can't even grieve getting fired from your job, I mean, what's left? Um, And and that's really what the executive order called for, was for agencies to take away the ability of unions to grieve removal actions against federal employees. 
But would it be fair to say that didn't quite make them employees at will because they still had the MSPB and its administrative law judges? Exactly, which was ironic uh, because, you know, additionally, this administration has been very hostile toward the MSPB. Um, and, you know, ironically, with, uh, you know, removals being excluded, that's where all of these cases will end up. Sure. And what about the limitations on performance improvement? I guess the administration was seeking to shorten how long people could have from 90 days to 30 days until you're out because of the lack of improvement, ostensibly. Yes. And and so that's something else that's back into play. Um, You know, honestly, I don't think that's such a big deal because for several years, uh, you know, goodness, even decades, federal agencies have been able to remove federal employees under um, Chapter 75, which governs traditionally misconduct, for poor performance. So there's, there's sort of been a loophole available um, for agencies to get around performance improvement plans already. Uh, so this is just sort of taking that loophole and, and, and solidifying it, but it doesn't really change anything um, that's already not in play. We're speaking with Deborah Diagostino, founding partner of the Federal Practice Group, and the judge said that of course, there is the Federal Labor Relations Authority that he said has does have jurisdiction over these matters that the D.C. District Court did not. And so what happens now? Can the unions take this all to the Federal Labor Relations Authority? And I guess what, shouldn't they have done that in the first place? Well, so that's what the D.C. Circuit is saying in this case. Uh, and so it's it's a really complicated decision to follow uh, if, if um, you know, you're reading this cold. But in essence... Uh, what the D.C. Circuit said is that the FLRA um, has in it a carve-out to the court's jurisdiction. So basically Congress intended, you know, by the language in this law, for these cases to not go to court and that Congress is allowed to do that. Um, And so, you know, what the law says is that these cases should go to the FLRA and then if uh, you don't get a satisfactory result there. You can go actually back to the D.C. Circuit. Um, and, you know, what me and most of my peers think is that this is just a tremendous waste of everyone's resources. I mean, I, I don't think that anyone um, believes that unions are going to get a fair shake uh, at the FLRA right now. Um, and, you know, traditionally the FLRA has really sort of reflected uh, the administration's view on unions. So, you know, Obama's FLRA was more union-friendly than than what we're seeing right now. So, um, you know, I I think that what uh, the unions thought was, okay, we go to district court for really, you know, rulings on issues that are of, you know, federal court interest. You know, do these executive orders violate federal law? Does the president have this authority? Um, And interestingly, the the lower court actually found that the president did have the authority to issue these executive orders. Um, And so the the court's holding was actually very limited, and it said that these these particular provisions that were enjoined, and certainly not all of the executive order was enjoined, but these these particular provisions were found to violate um, part of the Civil Service Reform Act. So, So, you know, that argument can still be made again. Um, it's just likely to be, you know, goodness, a year or two or more before um, these provisions end up re-enjoined. Is there any way to make the FLRA go into emergency mode and give a ruling quickly so that it could go to court quickly? Uh, I can't see that happening. I, um, 
I mean, really what's going to have to happen is that the unions are going to have to bring unfair labor practices. And so um, they're going to have to get into the collective bargaining agreement and, um, you know, sort of let the issues arise naturally through that process before they even have a viable, you know, complaint to take to the FLRA. So, um, you know, unfortunately, I think for unions, uh, this is, and for federal employees who are in these unions more broadly, um, you know, this is going to be uh, a long slog before there's any relief if, you know, if ultimately there is relief, which is certainly a question mark. And what would happen if some of the provisions that have been included in collective bargaining agreements that were growing out of these executive orders, what would happen if they came to be signed and they were seven years, say, agreements as the agencies want? And then somehow, by some process, they were eventually ruled unconstitutional by a court, given the time that it takes. What would that do to those collective bargaining agreements? Well, I would envision that the provisions within any collective bargaining agreement that were found to be unlawful would be struck from those agreements. But most CBAs, the collective bargaining agreements, would have something in it that says, you know, if any provision is found to be unlawful, the rest still stands. So, um, you know, for example, if right now agencies are saying we're going to exclude removals uh, from grievability, and that's going to be in the collective bargaining agreement, um, and then two years down the road, the D.C. Circuit says, actually, that violates federal law. You can't have that. It will probably be in for two years, and then we'll, we'll be struck. So, um, you know, the uncertainty has to be nerve-wracking for the people who this directly affects those federal employees. And, of course, we don't know and nobody can predict who the next president will be, but should it be a Democrat, then there could be an executive order on day one and it's all over. Certainly. These executive orders were... Uh, there were three of them. They were very broad in scope, um, both dealing with, um, you know, anything involving federal employee unions, but also, um, you know, just dealing sort of with the disciplinary process in general. Um, and I would envision, yes, that these executive orders would be pulled back. That's not to say that there couldn't be civil service reform. I mean, you know, the Civil Service Reform Act had its 40th birthday, um, and I think, you know, on both sides of the aisle, people are, are looking at it and saying, hey, there's room for improvement here. We've learned some lessons. Um, and, you know, I, I could see civil service reform happening in a much broader way. Um, you know, because of the Civil Service Reform Act, though, it really does have to be done either by Congress passing a, a new act, and a new statute, um, or you know, with executive orders that are in accordance with the Civil Service Reform Act. But, you know, like I said, I think both sides of the aisle, no one's looking at the government right now and saying oh, everything's perfect here. I mean, there's certainly, um, you know, big swaths of things that could be improved. Deborah Diagostino is founding partner of the Federal Practice Group. Hey, thanks so much for joining me. Sure thing. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. When you think about something that brings out the best in us, it usually involves helping someone else. By donating plasma at a Griffel Center, you can help save millions of lives and show your good side to the world. You'll join thousands of people who donate safely each week, so patients get the plasma-derived medicines they rely on. And you'll be rewarded up to $1,000 your first month. Learn more at grifflesplasma.com.